the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What he desires to establish in each and every one of us is that we would reach out to those who have despitefully used us. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. For today's Core Truth, we are starting a brand new message titled Doing the Same in John chapter 13. You know, there's so many times in life that we will actually mimic others. You know, to mimic means to copy to simulate or imitate them. Now, as children, we played many games as we attempted to copy what we saw others do. You know, for us guys, maybe we rode our BMX bicycles attempting to be, you know, racing motocross motorcycles or something. Or we dreamed of being the sports hero and we took the last shot at the buzzer, okay? And then, of course, for you girls, maybe you played dress up, you know, with your own little fashion show as you sang and danced in front of the mirror, attempting to be a star. Yes, we all tried our share of mimicking those who we watched and admired. And we tried to imitate everything that they did, maybe how they performed or how they dressed or how they talked. Now, why do we get so tempted to be something that's different than what we are? Well, I'm sure many things allure us, you could say, like seeing people in movies, seeing them in advertisements and commercials and on billboards. It all somehow attracts us. It all appeals to our flesh. That's why we buy what they're selling. But let's face it, whatever the actor or sports hero is wearing never quite looks as good on us as it does on them, yet we end up buying it anyway. It makes us feel maybe more in touch with and and relevant, you know, uh, relevant, I should say, with our culture. That's why we pay more for certain name brands. Uh, and for those that maybe can't afford to buy the name brands, yeah, sometimes we buy the, the knockoff, the thing that's made in China, you know, those things that are they sell on the streets of New York City. I mean, how do you know something's a knockoff? Well, when you find a Gucci purse in Soho for 40 bucks, you can pretty much take it. It's not the real thing. Or if a guy comes up to you and he's got his jacket on, he opens up and there's all these Rolex watches or a little case, and, and you say, are those real? And he says, yes. How much are they? 20 bucks. Okay. It's, it's probably not the real thing. Well, I think we've all made our attempts in one way or another to keep up with either fashion or trends in some way. We've all mimicked or followed some new fad at a certain point. But guess what? Jesus never did that. Jesus never subjected himself to the popular opinion. He was always content with who he was. Jesus was his own man. He was not out to please anybody else, for he was the eternal God come alive 
in human form. He could have been born in a palace if he wanted to. He could have been born to a wealthy family. He could have been raised in the lap of royalty and luxury. Yet he chose rather to be born to a poor young girl in an animal stable. He could have chosen to look like he was ready for the cover of GQ magazine. He could have been chiseled with muscles bulging and a a ripping six pack if he wanted to. I mean, he could have been born that way, but yet he wasn't. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 too, he says, he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him nor an appearance that we would be attracted to him. Many times you see Jesus in pictures and it's like, it's like, oh, where's Jesus? Oh, he's the one with the blonde streaks in his hair and the riveting blue eyes. Yes, he's the good looking one. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there was nothing about him that we would be attracted to him on the outside. So you could say, oh, look, there's Jesus. Well, which one is he? Uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, right there, the, over there. You know, I mean, it, there was just nothing that you would say, oh, he's the good looking one. But he wanted it that way so that we wouldn't be attracted by his appearance. We'd be attracted by who he was on the inside. Yes, Jesus was all about what really mattered. He wasn't given over to the pleasing the multitudes. He wasn't out to impress those with power and prestige. And he certainly wasn't concerned with the latest fashion trends or fads. Yet his life is an example for each and every one of us. For his life was a life of surrender. His life was a life of sacrifice. His life was a life of always putting others in front of himself. It was a life of servanthood. His life was a complete oxymoron of how we live today. Because we live in a time where it's like, well, we like to serve ourselves. Now you could say it's the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. As we consume ourselves with how we look what we do, and all the pleasure that surrounds us. Yet, as many seek to find themselves and escape from the continual presence of boredom, we seem to get farther and farther away from the peace, the quietness of rest that God originally planned for us. Understand, Jesus totally threw a monkey wrench into our methods when he said this in Mark 9.35. He says, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and a servant of all. What? Yeah, if you want to be first, you got to be last. You got to be a servant of all. I wonder if there is any Christians here today that are willing to do the same. Well, as we continue in our study through the gospel of John, as we look here at chapter 13, as you remember from our last study, it was the moment of truth because Jesus had foretold his death. He said that the son of man must be lifted up. That was indicating the fact that he would literally be lifted up on a cross and crucified in front of people. He said to those who had rejected him, he says that they would be judged in the last day. Yes, man is doomed by our own sin. That's why it's so important for us. We need a savior. We are desperately in need to have our sins forgiven. Why is that? 
Because Jesus said that we will all stand in judgment one day. In fact, in Luke 12, 2, he said, There is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known in that day. He says, Whatever you have said in the dark, it'll be heard in the light. What you have whispered in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops of heaven one day. And if that doesn't send chills down your spine, what will? I mean, think about what nobody else knows about you. What was done in secret and and in the dark. God says, no, it's all going to be revealed in heaven. Oh, my goodness. That will send chills down your spine. Yes, we will all be judged for what we've done and how we've lived. Yet for the true Christian, we will not be judged for our sins. And why is that? Because Jesus died a horrible death for us on the cross. And he bore our sin on his body so that we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin. Well, today, as we study John chapter 13, Jesus is just hours away from being captured, beaten, and brought before the high priest. They're going to hold Jesus in an illegal trial in the middle of the night. This, of course, was a mockery of the justice system of the day. Then they will take Jesus and they'll present him before Pontius Pilate, the governor from Rome, to be crucified. So here we have Jesus. He's spending the last night with his own hand-picked 12 disciples to celebrate the Passover celebration. But yet the disciples, they don't get any of this. They don't understand that this is going to be their last Passover with Jesus. They don't get that. They were in a place we call the upper room when they were having this. Now with that as a backdrop, we will consider three points in light of our title, doing the same. Number one, Jesus loved to the end. He loved his disciples all the way to the end. Number two, Jesus served to the end. We're gonna see him serving his disciples all the way to the end. And number three, Jesus taught to the end. He was always ready to teach another lesson. So let's look at our first point, Jesus loved to the end. As we read together, starting in John chapter 13, we'll pick up, of course, in verse 1. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, he got up from the supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself about. Well, we'll stop there for just a moment. Now, notice there are three huge declarations in verse 1 alone. Number one, Jesus' hour had come to depart. You know, so many times he was always saying, it's not my hour yet, it's not my time yet, but his time is now. It's going to all go down in just uh, the matter of a few hours. So he says, yes, it's his time now to depart. Number two, in verse 1, he says, Jesus loved his own. And number three, it says he loved them to the end. Yes, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, just after Adam and Eve had eaten of the forbidden fruit, the Lord God proclaimed to the world that one would be born from the seed of a woman 
and he would crush the devil. That means that he's talking to the serpent and he says, oh, you think you're pretty good by sneaking up on the woman and deceiving the woman to eat of the forbidden fruit. But let me tell you something, Satan. The one will come that will crush your head. He will come from the seed of the woman. He will come and be born of a woman and he will crush you one day. Yes, man would not be eternally separated from God forever. Why? Because God had a plan all the way back in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, that he would pay the ultimate price for his prized possession. What's God's prized possession again? Is it one of the 100 million, 100 billion galaxies out there or 100 billion stars in each one of those galaxies? Is it the ring around Saturn that he created? No, it is you and me. We are his prized possession. Yes, the creator of all things would die for the sin of all humanity. He would pay the ultimate cost, the cost of his own life. Jesus' time must have gone by so quickly. Maybe it seemed not that long ago that he was born in a manger. His first moments of, a, of life as a human being next to an oxen feeding in this barn. Yet now his life is behind him and the cross is in front of him. Jesus' hour has come with those who rejected him, ready to bind him and crucify him. But yet at this moment, He sits with the men who devoted themselves to fully follow him, to those who gave up their careers along with everything they owed. Yes, without question, Jesus loved them to the end. What a word of encouragement that is to each and every one of us. Jesus is going to love you. He's going to love me all the way to the end. So regardless of, well, us, regardless of our continual failing and falling, he will love us to the end. When we find ourselves entrapped in trials, when the heavy rain clouds of despair have relentlessly poured down upon you and me, we can know this, that God will not leave us or forsake us. He will love you and me all the way to the end. And when the condemnation of our own sin seems so overwhelming to us, when we find ourselves alone and empty and filled with tears of sorrow, have you ever just got to that point? It's one thing when other people give up on you. I give up on you. Yeah, you're, you're a wretch. You know, maybe your parents give up on you. Maybe your parents write you off or a best friend writes you off. It's one thing when other people, you know, are done with us. But what happens when you're done with yourself? What happens when you look in the mirror and say, I don't like you anymore. I don't like what you've become. You're a failure. You keep falling to the same thing. You're a mess. What happens when you say that? Well, the Bible tells us in 1 John, it says, even when our own heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than you inside of you. He is greater than when you have given up on yourself. He says, I'm going to love you to the end, even though you give up, uh, give up on your own self. That's why we're told in Psalm 30, verse 5, he says, his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. A shout of joy. It's like no matter how much you fail, God says, I hate your sin. I can't stand your sin. Your sin is an abomination to me but I love you 
And I'm going to put out a shout of joy in the morning because I'm still with you. No matter what you've done, I'm still with you. And nothing can separate us from his great love. I love Romans chapter 8. It's one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. I mean, you could make a claim that this is maybe one of the greatest chapters. But I love the way it starts. It starts out, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But listen to how it ends. It says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 38. It says, for I am convinced, I know this, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow. And for those that are among us, who can't seem to see past your own failures, who can't seem to get past your own present weaknesses, who can't seem to move forward from your own present difficulties. Think about what the Apostle Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said in Philippians 1, 6, he says, I am confident of this very thing, meaning I boldly know, I know that I know that I know. I am confident that I know this. He says that the work that he began in me, he's going to complete until the day of Christ Jesus. There's a work that God starts in us in the beginning. There's a work that begins in us. See, when we first come to know Christ as our savior, he says that he justifies us. Now think about that for a second. Justification means that he makes us just as if we've never sinned. So that's what he's done immediately as soon as a person comes to Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, if any man or woman be in Christ, they become a new creature. All things are passed away. All your sin, all your trash, all your garbage, all the bones in the closet, all those things are passed away. Everything becomes new. So when we first come to know Christ, we are justified. Then we're given the promise of being glorified one day. One day, whether we die Our Jesus comes back in the clouds and takes us in the rapture. We will be glorified, meaning we get out of these earthly bodies of sin and death and we get a new body in heaven. And now we spend forever with God in heaven in a new body that has no sin nature. You'll never desire to do wrong again. So you'll have, you'll be glorified. So right now we're justified. One day coming, we're promised to be glorified. But what's in the middle? In the middle is a sanctifying process. So it's a process of us working things out and becoming more like Jesus. So, you know, we will never be sinless this side of heaven, but we can sin less and sin less and sin less as we follow him. As we give our lives, our hearts to him, we can get closer to him. Well, that's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, look, I'm confident that he that started a good work in me is going to get me through to the end. I'm going to get through to the end. And this was personally touching to Paul because why? Before he became the famous apostle Paul in writing half of the New Testament, he was who? He was Saul of Tarsus, who was personally responsible for trying to crush the new Christian movement. Not only did he have Christians beaten, pulled out of their house, thrown in prison, he even had some killed. Could you imagine the guilt that went on with his life? But he understood 
that I'm a new man in Christ now. And the work that God started in me, he is going to finish. Yes, Jesus, the Passover lamb, loved his disciples and he loved them to the end. So he's celebrating the last Passover with them, even though they don't understand it's the last one. Which brings up our second point. Jesus served to the end. Let's read what it says in John chapter 13, picking up in verse 5. It says, Then he, Jesus, poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. And so he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, this is what Peter said to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now but you will understand hereafter. And then Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. And then Jesus answered him and says, well, if I do not wash you, then you have no part with me. Then Simon Peter said, Lord, not only wash my feet, wash my head and my hands, wash everything. Then Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew that there was one that was betraying him. For this reason, he says, not all of you are clean, meaning Judas Iscariot, who was still here at this moment. Well, stopping there for a moment, notice how Jesus, recognizing that his time was short, he was willing to demonstrate yet another example of an act of selfless love for his disciples. Know this. I'm sure all of these disciples would have washed Jesus' feet. If Jesus would have said, hey, look, there's no servants up here. There's no one to wash your feet. Well, wouldn't you guys wash my feet? I'm sure that every one of those guys would have washed Jesus' feet. But that was not the training lesson that he was trying to give them. That wasn't the point. That wasn't the issue. The real issue was this. Would they wash each other's feet? Not Would you just wash Jesus' feet, but would you wash the person's feet sitting next to you this morning that you don't know? Would you wash their feet? That's the issue because that's what God's looking for. Not that we are willing to do some random act of kindness to the person who loves us and cherishes us. Oh, would you take care of your mother? It's your mother. You should take care of her. But really, it's quite the opposite. What he desires to establish in each and every one of us is that we would reach out to those who have despitefully used us, that we reach out to those who have made our lives hard, those who are lost and those who are bitter that are around us. Yes, Jesus was displaying true servanthood. He was displaying what true love and obedience is really all about. So he gets up. He wraps a towel around him and he starts to wash their feet. And who does he go to first? First of all, there was the backstabbing betrayer, Judas Iscariot, who will within hours sell his soul to the devil and betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the cost of a common slave. Just wrap your mind around that for a moment. Talk about loving your enemies. Was that a little bit of an awkward moment? Here, Judas, let me wash your feet as you're planning right now to sell me out for 30 pieces of silver. But that's servanthood. Maybe that was the last time as Jesus washed his feet and looked in his eyes like, you know, Judas, you don't have to do this. 
You know, Judas, why are you thinking the things you're thinking? I mean, what was that like? Looking into the eyes of Jesus as he's bowed on the floor, washing your feet as you're looking down and you're planning on selling the soul of Jesus out. But yet, he loved him all the way to the end. Then think about just the aspect of washing someone else's feet. I mean, men like Peter and Matthew and James and John with all the others. I mean, these are scrapper fishermen. One is a hated tax collector. Yet they are the men that Jesus called and it's his disciples. But understand, no matter how much we look at them, well, they're the apostles. These are men and they got stinky feet. And now why would the king of kings and the Lord of lords spend his last moments washing their feet? Here we have Jesus the God-man, the Messiah's savior in the upper room with the crucifixion only hours away. And he's chosen to use his time in washing the disciples' feet to prove a lesson. That's all the time we have for today's message, but please continue to join us this week as we go through the Gospel of John in chapters 12 and 13. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA one word, that's Core Church LA to 77977. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.